Just before we start the show, a quick message to say that I need your help. Whether you're a long-term listener or you literally just found us, I would be incredibly grateful if you could go to mattalder.com and fill out a very short survey about this podcast. It won't take longer than two minutes of your time and will be incredibly helpful to me as I develop Recruiting Future into 2023. Just to recap, the website address is mattalder.com and it will take just two minutes of your time to complete the survey. Go on, press pause and do it right now. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 471 of the Recruiting Future podcast. A volatile talent acquisition market and the immense disruption we're seeing to traditional ways of working are driving significant changes in employer branding strategies. Culture, EVP and employer brand marketing are going through a period of intense evolution and it's essential to understand what's happening in this space. My guest this week is Charu Malhotra, Global Head of Talent Branding and Recruitment Marketing at PA Consulting. In our wide-ranging conversation recorded at Unleash World in Paris, we discuss some of the current issues in employer branding, culture and retention. So, hi Charu and welcome back to the podcast. Hello Matt. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, we're recording this live on the second day of the Unleash event in Paris. How's the, how's the event going for you? Well, first of all, thanks again for having me on this podcast. It's my favorite recruitment podcast, so pleasure to be here. Um, day two, buzzy, interesting, good conversations. And like I'm sure you've heard a hundred times already, just so brilliant to be out you know, at a conference and see people in real life versus just via a, a Teams or Zoom window. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it's day two. I'm rather regretting the amount of red wine that I drank last night. But hey, we're in, we're in Paris. Exactly. So that's, you, you have to do that. It's the, it's the law. We, were, we did a panel together yesterday um, all about the challenges in talent acquisition and the things that are going on in the market. And it was a, you know, it was a great conversation, but we were very limited in terms, of, in terms of time and couldn't maybe get into the topic as much as we wanted to. So I, I really want to kind of pick up that, that conversation with you, with you now. So first of all, I suppose, tell everyone what you do because, um, you know, we haven't actually introduced you properly. So um, tell everyone what you do. And also, you know, what are the challenges that you're seeing in talent acquisition at the moment? Sure. So I'm Charu Malhotra. I've been lucky enough to have worked at organizations like Unilever, McKinsey, BP in recruitment marketing and talent acquisition transformation roles. I'm heading up talent branding or employer branding globally at PA Consulting, which is a, a sort of a medium-sized consulting house, um, international and based, uh, based out in London. Fantastic stuff. And talk us through the sort of challenges that you're seeing in the market. Yeah, I mean, from a talent acquisition stroke culture branding perspective, which is the, the sort of the balance that I have in my role and as a someone with my skill set, I think there's, there's so many 
different challenges, but I think we, we are not escaping the fact that the pandemic, although we're seeing it very much in the rear, rear view window, has had a massive impact on how candidates and employees feel about work. And that's had an impact across talent acquisition, naturally, and retention in terms of internally. So I think that's a that's a challenge, a really interesting challenge, and a challenge that a lot of companies are have been grasping with and doing really some brilliant things. And yet other organisations are perhaps going back to the de facto, okay, pandemic is over. And I think there's that one challenge. Then clearly, we can't escape the fact that there's a huge macroeconomic impact, cost of living, inflation, and of course, impact on the war. From a, from a war perspective. So there's so many things going on that are outside of our control that are impacting the TA team's functions and ability to, to sort of do what they want to do. One of the things that we were talking about yesterday was how organisations can build inclusive workplaces, particularly when workforces are becoming more and more remote. I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts around that? Yes, and I'm so glad you asked this question because we skimmed the surface yesterday. So when inclusive workforces um, and the whole aspect of inclusion, diversity and equity is something I've been working on for the last five, six years. It's a passion of mine, both personally and professionally. And I think what we're seeing is organisations grapple with this whole, how do we maintain the balance that employees have, have said, and I'm talking about knowledge workers now, um, what they don't want to come back to the office full time. Um, they want to be in a situation where they've got freedom to flex how they organize their work lives but with a, a hiring manager, sorry, a line manager community that doesn't actually necessarily know or has been trained up to manage remotely, to reward remotely. Um, and you still have massive pockets of um, the proximity bias. So I, I think, you know, creating an inclusive culture is clearly we've all got it's not about ping pong tables and bars and pizza at Fridays um, those days have gone but I think it's also gone past the okay the patience of okay Mr. Hiring Manager you don't need to see me come into the office two days a week just because you come in there was a brilliant uh, piece of research that Slack um, and shared on Monday and I was reading to a, reading to a uh, podcast by Bruce Daly from Twitter talking about something like 58% of knowledge workers are coming into the office, back into the office, to spend between two and three hours in the office on Zoom or team calls with colleagues who are working from home. I mean, that's a colossal waste of energy, time, and it's going to lead to frustration. So I'm meandering and didn't really answer the question, how are organizations creating inclusive cultures? I think we also need to think more about, have we trained up managers? I don't think we have to how do you manage and reward, and I, the reward thing's really important, remote workers and hi, hybrid working is is really important that you don't end up with the proximity bias, and I think a lot of companies are still in that space. And how is it in your organisation in terms of how you kind of manage remote work, or is it hybrid working, how, do, how, does, it, how does it work? Yeah, I think it's classic, sort of hybrid working, um, the pandemic um, forced uh, our organisation to allow individuals to work from home. Individuals perhaps hadn't had that liberty before. They were normally client-facing because it's a management consulting or work uh, client-side. Um, so it's very much hybrid working. That flexibility is, is there. Um, I think like a lot of organizations, it's grappling with the how do you maintain or create a culture? Um, and the business I work for is very acquisitive. So it's done a number of acquisitions in the last 12 months. How do you create a culture? How do you flex that culture? 
um, when you've got new acquisitions and you've got you know nearly 40% of the workforce join during the pandemic so haven't necessarily been to the office in those first zero to six months which are pivotal um, really key and instrumental to the buy-in a, a candidate stroke employee has to the company's values and ways of working there's been a lot of content at this show about culture and inclusion um, and um, engagement. Is there any any sort of presentation that you've seen or any um, you know anything that um, you felt kind of sort of really nails that? Yes. So absolutely, I think you know one in six of the stands here are a form of a, a platform, a piece of software that talks about rewarding or IND, which is it's really lovely to see. And I'd love to see some kind of comparison about what was that like three years ago when we were last out here. Um, I would say that the biggest impact, impactful presentation I had is um, I was lucky enough to see Erin Mayer talk this morning as a word nerd, a bookworm. You know, I was delighted to see her. You know, it made my heart very happy. And she talked at length about um, the Netflix culture but with some really interesting and provocative points around when you do build in a, a company where you have no rules, um, how do you maintain that as the company grows and flexes? But in particular, she talked really um, smartly around the values that companies have um, and how do, you, how do you embed that in a, in a really, really high-performing culture? How do you embed that? How do you make sure that everyone's talking with that same handbook? And Netflix obviously have done it really well, famously well, but how do you take that away in a you know, gigantic, gigantic organization? So for me, Erin Mayo was brilliant. Um, read her book, heard her talk. She talked a lot about um, con- how contagious performance is, but also this dichotomy of you know, how do you build a performance-led culture um, it's easier in a startup to do that. You're starting from scratch in many cases. What do you do in a company that's 70 years old or 100 years old? How do you then rebuild that culture for that focus? So that was, for me, the stand- standout. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York, and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com pod. That's www.wonolo.com pod and take the stress out of finding workers. Obviously, being at a conference in France with uh, attendees from all over Europe and in, you know, in some places um, coming from further afield all, all over the world, it kind of really brings, I suppose it brings home, um, you know, there's a lot of commonality um, because we're all walking around looking at the same software and, um, uh, you know, having conversations, going to the same sessions. For someone in a global role, how... 
how does employer branding work across across countries what's the level of commonality particularly at the moment i think with um you know all the the the, the economic problems and the different attitudes to, to to work and the different regulations how does employer branding work at the moment internationally yeah employer branding um I mean, I, I've always worked globally. I would say PA is more international than global. It's, sort of a, it's, a, it's a much smaller business. But I think there's a real element of thinking about the segmentation a lot more seriously with a lot more focus when it comes to what's going to draw a candidate through the being aware of an organization, that constant heartbeat of content that we always talk about, or I always talk about, to actually thinking, okay, I'm going to go and apply for a job with this business, or I'm going to follow them and understand a bit more about them before applying. So I think the segmentation has become more and more important. It's not just a nice to have, it's imperative. I think recognizing, and anyone that's worked in employer branding has talked about borderless talent. It's truer than ever when you're competing against talent especially in the tech space with companies that are saying you can be based wherever you want to be based it becomes really hard to draw out that your job adverts don't say remote working or remote working but you have to come in one day a week that's not remote working so i think to 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 your point how does employer branding work in this this world it's that segmentation by that what i mean is thinking about your audience thinking about geographies territories a lot more when it comes to content but I think we're much more open now to think about employer branding with a, um, a longer lens um, versus just thinking about it recruitment marketing. Companies and CEOs are much more interested in culture because candidates aren't the only ones walking away. Employees are going, actually, do you know what? I can go elsewhere. I'm not as bought in because I've been with this business two years, but I actually only have gone into the office a handful of times. So I will, I will leave much more readily. There are alleged technology solutions for every single kind of talent problem that we could we could have. Cutting through the noise, what technologies technologies do you think are most useful at the moment? Uh, two elements, two red threads. So I I'm a massive believer, and I've said this yesterday, and I said it from the minute I walked into our industry, is there is no better indicator to a company's culture for a candidate than the recruitment process. Um, you know, from how you communicate your job adverts to the type of comms that come out from your ATS, the difference between dear applicant to dear Matthew to Charu, to the hiring managers turning up on time, to the hiring managers committing to a timeline. So I think there's two big um, elements that, A, it's the taking away the administrative burden, those repetitive tasks, whether it's interview scheduling, which, um, you know, I think, you know, take up so much time but are so critical it's the engine room of everything we do within the recruitment function so that you know repetitive task which can take so much time using technology to take that away from the recruiters or the administrative function and having a a much more frictionless hiring manager experience for that and becomes then a great experience for the candidate and then secondly around assessment we can't talk about dni being important if we have assessing uh, of candidates still with inbred bias. So for me, assessment is the area that you look at technology. I'm not saying technology is a silver bullet. Absolutely not. You have to buy your technology with a um, massive amount of due diligence um, and do a lot of investigation. But for me, when a company doesn't use any kind of assessment at the front end or the middle end, um, I worry. So those are the two elements, I think. And of course, programmatic media from a 
employer branding perspective, which is, of course, my my area. But for me, assessment is the area that you should look at from a, um, a tech perspective. Final question. Where do you think we're heading? Or maybe where, where do you hope we're heading? So what do you hope is going to happen in talent acquisition and employer branding over the next sort of two to three years? From a talent acquisition perspective, I hope we are heading and again, some organizations are heading this way, where internal mobility is as given as much priority and focus as external attraction. So by that, I mean, why are employees walk, working or walking away? Is because it's easier to get a job externally than it is to move internally. Why is that? Um, so I think that's where I want the, the TA functions to head, you know, using the same techniques and tools that we've honed externally, internally. And by that, I mean marketing our jobs internally. I, I've talked about this a lot internally where I am. A lot of jobs just simply aren't understood. So how are you going to apply for it? And the other element, I think, you know, where do I want employer branding headed is I, I've changed my mind. When I, when I started in this space about 14, 15 years ago, I was an EVP um, disciple. I'm not sure we need these big bloated projects that last two years, employee value propositions. Um, I, I'm now a, a fan of still research-based value propositions, but because of the segmentation I think has become so important, this one size fits all EVP with a bit of localization sprinkled on top doesn't work anymore. So for me, it's about being more nimble and responsive with my value proposition um, and lending it to the marketing that you do. And then just lastly, it's not TA-based, but I just want to put it in. We need to obliterate this sort of beige, tepid, boring, bland branding in recruitment marketing. You know, that's my mantra. No more beige. Charu, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you, Matt. My thanks to Charu. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the new monthly newsletter and the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show. 